Welcome back, everyone, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 111. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by dear friend, Austin. Austin, how you doing? I am fantastic, sir. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you making noise, dog? It's fine. It's dog. No big deal. But I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> good, good, good. It's another are, late night. It's, it's another great. late night. It is 10 o'clock as we are hitting the record button tonight. Again, working around my goofy work schedule that that uh, that we've had that I've had going for the last little bit but here we are and we are going to dive into the next couple of verses in John chapter 1 we left off at verse 17 so we're going to start there here in just a few moments uh, first just again find us on social media it, again we've we've discussed it a couple times I'm not going to go into it at length we've received one donation thank you so much for that one donation um, we do greatly appreciate it. We give you the applause. Thank you so much. Uh, but butter, givebutter.com, even I forget it, but givebutter.com slash rooted. Yep. And you can um, donate and help us go to Winter Jam. Help us get a booth up there if you would like to. I'm going to give it maybe one or two more episodes, and then I will stop talking about it if it doesn't get any traction. And that's okay if it doesn't. We will, we will move on. But, you uh, can do it. Givebutter.com slash, pay, uh, slash rooted. If you want to do that, give a one-time donation. That'd be wonderful. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, like us, share us. Share episodes. Share episodes. Um, that's the best way for us to grow, yep. really. I mean, Winter Jane would be huge, but the best way for us to go is share episodes. I know of a few people who have, and we thank you for that. Continue to do that. That'd be awesome. Get those numbers up there. That'd be um, kind of what we're going for. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we're just going to dive in. Chapter L- one. Little, little does Brad know, we're going to spend verse. the entire episode on chapter one, verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 17. All right. So let, let me go ahead and read verse 17 real quick uh, as we get started. Um, four. Golly. All right. <laughs> I was trying to f- pull. Up, I was trying to pull up uh, the the thing on my phone. And I realized, oh wait, I have it on my computer. That's fine. That's like, fine. That was the whole thing I was doing there. Um, all right, here we go. Verse seventeen, John chapter one, verse seventeen. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. So here's what we're gonna do, because Austin has prepared a lot for this particular verse in this particular discussion. I'm gonna let him start off, and I'm gonna chime in as. Uh, as we go. Yes. So uh, this will be maybe an Austin-driven episode, which I like. That happens from time to time. Every where once in a while, yeah. Austin drives it, and every now and then I drive it, and most of the time it's both of us. Yep. But yep. I think this one will be a good Austin-driven episode. So let's uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Get started. Uh, all right. So, Brad, when you read this verse, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I think of Jesus fulfilling the law. Mm-hmm. I think of... The idea that the law was given to us to show us our need for a savior, the law, or the law was given to the Israelites, and that while we are under a new covenant, the covenant of grace, that there are aspects of the old law, uh, uh, well, there, the law that God gave is just as valuable as as the new covenant, as when it comes to obedience and when it comes mm. to doing things like that. Now, the man-made laws that were added in, maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. blended fabrics. Stuff like that, um, but we are under grace. Yes, and, and that we cannot uphold the law perfectly, but we are under grace. Yes. Jesus fulfilled it, so that is 
first thing I think of. Yes. And, and we're pretty much in agreement there. And so what I'm going to go through, uh, there's several snippets from, it's the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 19. It's um, uh, Ligonier Ministries. Uh, but but it's awesome. A lot of this um, the work was done for me uh, by a, a guy by the name of Zachariah Jackson. Uh, I go to go to church with him. He's a really good friend of mine. Um, and the way he lays it out, it's just it's beautiful. So shout out to Mr. Jackson. Shout out Mr. Jackson. Woo! Maybe I uh, am for real. No, no. Okay, sorry, Zachariah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll have him on a few shout future out episodes. Woo! It's fine. So yeah, we just read John chapter 1, verse 17. But then to back that, I want to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So that's a pretty big statement. Um, Brad and I went to a class once where it was uh, supposedly teaching uh, covenant theology and uh, one of the, the quotes that it had on there was that every jot and every tittle had been abolished. Do you remember that? I, I Honestly, I don't. Oh, well, that's fine. I, I keep it stored way back. It's <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of those. It's that. fine. But, but I believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it, that is something that a lot of evangelical Christians, they believe. And even though Scripture doesn't say that, they have that in the back of their mind of, well, yeah, Jesus came, so the law the law has been abolished. And they're they're mincing words. One, Jesus never said that. That actually goes against scripture. And they're mixing it with something that later Paul says, uh it it's Hebrews. Hebrews eight, verse thirteen says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Um, so they're they're mixing words and they're saying things that the scripture doesn't actually say. So Jesus himself is saying that he came to fulfill the law, not abolish. So therefore abolishment does not mean fulfillment and fulfillment does not mean abolishment. And he even goes on to say, uh, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Again, not trying Remind to... Remind me where you are on that. Matthew 5, verse 17 through 19. He He's not saying that you're not going to heaven. He's just saying you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I don't want to spend too much time diving into Matthew 17 through 19, but, but it's good to refresh and good to read. Uh, quote from Mr. Jackson. At this point... In the story of God's covenant of grace, he has called out a people of his own, no longer to be wanderers and sojourners like their fathers, but to form a nation in further fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. To guide this nation into obedience and prosperity, he gave them his law through the prophet Moses. We will dig deeper into this law and its significance for us today. So, 
Headline, The Law of God as a Revelation of His Own Righteous Character. Matthew 5.48 says, and warning, there's going to be a lot of scripture. Oh, no. Right, oh, no. Matthew 5.48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Leviticus 19.2, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. All right, so here's a quote by... It's called, By This Standard, Greg Manson. Um, there's scripture interlined, so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to read his quote, and mid-quotes, I'm going to read scripture that's backing that quote, if you guys can keep up with me here. All right. So, quote, According to scripture, God alone is holy. Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And he is good, Mark ten eighteen. Actually, I'm going to read some, and I'm not going to read others because there's a lot. So okay. start taking notes, guys. Yeah, there you go. Take notes and read them, okay? So, okay, according to it Scripture... Is, it is 10, 15, 10, 10.06 shh, uh, p.m. Shh. It's okay. I don't have to be up Just early. Just don't, don't tell my wife, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. According to Scripture, God alone is holy, Revelation fifteen four, and good, Mark ten eighteen. Yet God's law is likewise designed holy and good, Romans seven twelve. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. 1 Timothy 1.8 But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Back to Greg Manson. And obedience to it is the standard of human good. Deuteronomy 12.28 says, Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, so that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Also, Psalms 119.68, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Also, Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So, God is perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalms 18.30, Matthew 5.48. And the law which he has laid down for us is accordingly perfect. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Also James 1.25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So, back to, quote Mr. Jackson, the Christian view of God's law stands apart from all other ethical systems, either humanistic 
or religious. We deny that ethics, morality, and law are relativistic. This is an opposition to humanistic attempts at an ethical system such as a situational or pragmatic ethics, or religious systems that change at the whims of various deities. Rather, we believe that morality is universal and unchanging, because it is based upon the very nature and character of a good and unchanging cre creator, and lord of all things. Since this is the case, we therefore cannot abandon or ignore the laws given by God, through Moses, to the people of Israel after the Exodus. How then should we understand this law? How does it apply to us today? And that is the age-long question. How does the law given by God to Moses to give to the people of Israel, how does that kind of equate to us today? What what do we do with that? I mean, and, I, I think the big argument that I, that I hear more than anything is is the law in question here is basically the Ten Commandments and the moral content of those commandments. Not necessarily the laws on food, mm -hmm. not necessarily the laws on um, clothing. As far when it comes to like, don't wear blended fabrics right. and stuff like that. How you keep your beard, how you keep your hair. Not so much those laws. It's the moral laws that are summed up in those Ten Commandments, mm. um, which is kind of the route I've gone with a lot of these because. Because again, we 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 don't we don't uh, abstain. Most of us, at least, abstain from pork or shellfish, or you know, I'm sure the shirt I'm wearing is cotton and polyester blend. Probably, probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, and I don't keep my beard at the length that they require and all that stuff. You know, I, I keep a beard because it makes me not look twelve. Um, Amen. And that's kind of the <laughs> kind of the goal there. Although, as I've gotten older, that might change. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah, but the idea of, you know, I, I like what he says because it, it, it's such a different thing than these moral laws we have in society. Some of them interlap. Some of them don't overlap. Some of them overlap. Some of them don't. So, like, for example, thou shalt not murder. I think as a general rule in society, in civilized society at least, civilized, we all believe murder is wrong. We believe it should be punishable in, in the United States, sometimes by death, sometimes by life in prison. But we would all agree, saved and unsaved, murder's wrong. Okay? But it goes beyond that for us as, yeah. as, as believers. It goes to our hatred and our, our attitude towards people. Right. But on top of that, we have the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Who are the only people that are going to believe that law is the right thing to do exactly. and, the right, and, and the thing to obey? believers should be the ones that believe that right yeah so the ten commandments encompasses not just laws that we all generally find moral but laws that god finds moral and laws that laws that god finds good and laws that god demands us to follow yeah well and as we continue <clears throat> we're gonna break down what was given to moses and what the jews were following into three separate things the law is the whole, but then we're going to break it down into three separate distinctions. Before that, here's an excerpt from the Westminster Confession, chapter 19 of the Law of God. 
this is this is a lengthy one. Prepare, prepare, pre, pre, prepare. <clears throat> God gave to Adam a law as a covenant of works by which he bound him and all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. Promised life upon the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it and endowed him with power and ability to keep it. This law, after his fall, continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness, and as such was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written in two tablets, the first four commandments containing our duty toward God, and the other six our duty to man. Besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give the people of Israel as a church under age ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties, all which ceremonial laws are now abrogated or abrogated under the New Testament. <clears throat> to them also, as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other. Now, further than the general equity thereof may require. The moral law doth forever bind all, as well justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof, and that not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respects of the authority of God the Creator who gave it. Neither doth Christ in the gospel any way dissolve, but much strengthen his obligation. Although true believers be not under the law as a covenant of works, to be thereby justified or condemned, yet is it of great use to them as well as to others, in that as a rule of life, informing them of, them of the will of God and their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly. Discovering also the sinful pollutions of their nature, hearts, and lives, so as examining themselves thereby, they may come to further conviction of humiliation, for, and hatred against sin, together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. It is likewise of use to the regenerate for the it is likewise of use to the regenerate to restrain their corruptions and that it forbids sin and the threatening of it serve to show what even their sins deserve and what afflictions in this life they may expect for them. Although freed from the curse thereof threatened in the law, the promises of it in like manner show them God's approbation of obedience. I had to look that one up, so look that one up. Approbation of obedience, and what blessings they may expect upon the performance thereof. Spell, spell that word real quick. A-P-P-R-O-B-A-T-I-O-N. Approbation. Approval or praise. There you go. God's approval or praise of obedience. And what blessings they may expect upon the performance thereof. Although not as due to them by the law as a covenant of works, so as a man's doing good and refraining from evil. 
because the law encourageth to the one and deterreth from the other, is no evidence of his being under the law and not under grace. Neither are the fermentation, no, neither are the fermentationed uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which the will of God revealed in the law requireth to be done. Yes, that is a very long answer to a few questions. But Westminster Confession of Faith, many, many godly men locked themselves in a room for months and months on end to answer these questions. I smelled bad in there. Oh, probably. It's fine. <laughs> but but they were able to sit down and go through Scripture and say, what does Scripture say? And, and, and I think they did a very good job. It's what is our answer to what do we do with God's law? And, and the answer is, well, God's law is him revealing his character to us the best, best way we can ever read it or see it in anything. We see God's character. We see his likes. We see his dislikes as, as we talk about all the time through the law and through the old Testament as well. So that was the Westminster chapter 19. Um, now we're going to get into the three parts of the law. Well, that, that confession, that answer kind of, brought to mind Romans 7 to me, uh, thinking through just some of the, the ideas that Paul was, was having. And we've gone through Romans uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, go back and re- go through that series. But just real quick, Romans 7 verse 7, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And then again, it also brings an, another question or another verse from Paul where he says, should we continue to sin so grace may abound? Just because we're under grace, does that mean we just keep going and sinning so we can get more and more grace? No, dummies, that's not what I'm saying at all. And so there is still an expectation of obedience. We call that in the New Testament era, we call that fruit. Yeah. There's still an expectation of fruit where... The Christian is set apart, is different from the non-Christian, from the non-believer. Those of us who have been saved by grace understand the weight of that, yeah. or we should understand the weight of that. We probably constantly need to be reminded of the weight of that. Yeah. And because of that weight, because of that overwhelming sense of thankfulness and joy that we get from being saved, we obey. Yeah. And we're going to naturally produce that fruit. But there is still an expectation of fruit to be had. Exactly. Yeah. Period. You have to be able to look at someone and say, man, I see the marks of God on that person by how they live their life. You know, you see the marks of God on the person because they're a human first, <laughs> right? Image bearers that of God. Image yep. bearers of God made in his image, created in his image, but a skewed image and a distorted image because of sin. A reflection. And so yeah. we should be able to look at our our, peop- our brothers and sisters who profess Christ. We believe him, as Austin says often, love believes all things, and say, okay, does the fruit match what they're saying? 
that is the judgment we're allowed to possess and we're allowed to to use when we're it comes to, to we're supposed to use yeah not just allowed to and say man that that just doesn't match that, that that lifestyle doesn't match i mean we we've talked about austin and i had a conversation before we started about a brother who you know the lifestyle wasn't necessarily matching the confession but god convicted him and and god was like all right let's start putting things back in order here let's start getting back in line where we can start seeing that fruit and and I mean, praise God, because that's what you know, that's what God does. And and to me, that shows fruit. Yes. That, that that confession was made and that that realization happened. Yeah. That's a fruit. That, that is, is showing, fruit. that is God saying, okay, while the world may not see this as an issue, I do. Yeah. And he says, okay, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to, you know, hold myself accountable. I'm going to have you hold me accountable. Like, let's go. Yeah. And let's get back on the right path. Yeah. So there is a level of obedience that is expected of Christians. Be holy as I am holy. Yes. And what I'm doing here is I am building the case for the law is still very much present and still very much applicable. Um, there are parts of the law that are not, as, as we've read. There are parts that have seceded, and there are parts that were given specifically to the Israelites. So, all right, let's break it up into three parts. So this is from the Ligonier Ministries. It is broken up into three. One, the pedagogical use. Two, the civil use. And three, the normative use. First one, the pedagogical. Peda. Go. G.I. Cal. (laughs) I got it. I sounded it out. I had it. Um... Relating to teaching. Pedagogical. That is yes. that is the uh, definition we get for that. Um, relating to the practice of teaching and its methods. Yes. So the first purpose of the law is to be a mirror. On the one hand, the law of God reflects and mirrors the perfect righteousness of God. The law tells us much about who God is. Perhaps more important, the law illuminates human sinfulness. Augustine wrote, quote, The law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, and so feeling our weakness under the law, may learn to employ, employ, implore the help of grace, unquote. The law highlights our weakness so that we might seek the strength found in Christ. Here, the law acts as a severe schoolmaster who drives us to Christ. That is the first pedagogical use. Second, the civil use. A second purpose for the law is the restraint of evil. The law in and of itself cannot change human hearts. It can, however, serve to protect the righteous from unjust. Calvin says this purpose is, quote, by means of its fearful denunciations and the consequent dread of punishment, to curb those who, unless forced, have no regard to rectitude and justice. End quote. The law allows for a limited measure of justice on this earth until the last judgment is realized. Third, the normative use. The third purpose of the law is to reveal what is pleasing to God. As born-again children of God, the law enlightens us as to what is pleasing to our Father, 
whom we seek to serve. The Christian delights in the law as God himself delights in it. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. This is the highest function of the law, to serve as an instrument for the people of God to give him honor and glory. So, quote, Mr. Jackson, By studying or meditating on the law of God, we attend this school of righteousness. We learn what pleases God and what offends him. The moral law that God reveals in Scripture is always binding upon us. Our redemption is from the curse of God's law, not from our duty to obey it. We are justified not because of our obedience to the law, but in order that we may become obedient to God's law. To love Christ is to keep his commandments. To love God is to obey his law. To summarize the confession and the historical Protestant three functions of the law, we can say that the ceremonial laws, those related to the temple sacrifices and Levitical priesthood, have been ended or abolished. Fully translated into a new covenant reality, where the obedient life and sacrifice of Christ fulfills the requirements that God demanded. The moral or normative demands of God's law have always been and will continue to be binding on all of mankind. The civil use of the law is likewise binding in its general equity, but not necessarily in the specific form delivered to Israel. So there, there are the three forms, the three forms of the law. There is the ceremonial law, which, like Brad was talking about, the you know you're not you're not mixing fabrics, you are not eating shellfish. Uh, those are the ceremonial laws or the dietary laws. Um, but then you get into the the moral or the normative, as we talked about. The moral stays around for forever. That is not just Israel. That was also for all of the neighboring kingdoms as well. The neighboring kingdoms were expected to follow God's moral law. The next was the civil use of the law. And, and we see through scripture as we, we look at these civil laws, um, there were things that were very purposeful for just Israel versus that were meant for all the neighboring kingdoms as well. There, there were overlaps. There were things that would be civil versus moral. There were things that were moral and civil, but then there were things that were civil that were moral. Well, I mean, you look at, you look at, I mean, sexual immorality. For the most part, most sexual immorality is not illegal. Right. For the most part. Of yeah. course, there are exceptions. Obviously, rape is illegal. Stuff with kids is illegal, like that sort of thing. Uh, you know, anything non-consensual yep. is illegal, and, and that is perfect. We like that. Keep that up. That's a good thing. Let's go ahead and make those laws a little harsher, and the punishments a little harsher on those. But the idea of, of having an affair on your wife, premarital sex, yeah, masturbation, like there's no laws against any of those things Yeah, for the most part. Can't do it in public. <laughs> right. Obvious. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to state the obvious anymore, but yeah. 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 There are no laws against what you do in the privacy of your home when it comes to sexual immoral, sexually immoral things. Yeah. However, 
those goes against, go against God's moral law. Yes. Very blatantly go against God's moral law. And so that's that distinction of some things that are moral that aren't necessarily civil. Right. Right? So there's not going to be a law against what you're looking at on your phone for the most part. Obvious exceptions apply. Right. Right. But in God's eyes, it's still wrong. It's yeah. still sin. It's still immoral. So yeah, absolutely agree 100% that there are some laws that are got some of God's laws that we need to follow today that are moral in nature and not necessarily civil in nature. We're not going to get arrested for being jealous of what my neighbor has. Right. Austin has like a really cool like roaster thing and maybe I get jealous of that. There's no law against me wanting that. There's a law maybe against me stealing it from him. But there's no law against me saying I'm jealous of I'm that sorry. of that roaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? But in God's eyes, be content with what you have. Don't be jealous. That's a sin. That is that is a moral law yes, of God that does not flo- follow the civil side of it. Yeah. So. so, the law of Moses is the law of God. Deuteronomy 10, 8 through 10. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Amen. Next, God gave the law of Moses out of love and as a tool for dominion. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 through 11 to start out. And then I will probably just keep reading. Uh, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Now therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments, which I am commanding you today to do them. Verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock and the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. 
The Lord will remove from you all sickness, and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but he will lay them on all who hate you. You shall consume all the peoples from the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eye shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall obey and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I commanded you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of the ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. So a lot of Deuteronomy there. But that that last verse, last couple verses there, for me, explain all of it. Very important to, to go back through and read that. Again, that is Deuteronomy 7, 7 through uh, 15 to 16, and then Deuteronomy 30, verses 6 through 16. And that's it. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, and you may live and multiply. The Lord will bless you in the land if you obey his commandments. Now, yes, again, we go back to this is not a, 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 a works-based salvation. This is not a religion of works, but in a sense, it is. Because what does Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what does Paul say? He says, um, the the works that Christ has set before us. We are to do works. But we're also to just love the Lord and obey him. And again, as a natural byproduct of the grace that we've received. Like it 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 should become second nature to us to obey Christ. Now granted, we are always going to struggle with that sinful nature and that sinful side of us. It's not a magic switch that says, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden we're perfect and now we you know never sin and we always obey God that, that's not that's exactly. not it but what changes for us and what should change for you as a believer is okay 
I am now convicted of my sin, when I am not living right, when I'm not doing what God has called me to do, whether that's immediate conviction or whether that's, maybe it's a process, maybe it takes a little bit, you live in sin for a little while, and you all of a sudden are convicted. I mean, I know for me, in any kind of spell or or season in life, I I don't even like that term, but any kind of season in life where I, I have been living in a habitual sin, I know what's wrong. And and I, I do believe that is conviction, knowing that what I'm doing does not please God. Mm. I might ignore it for a little bit and a little bit longer than I should, which you should never ignore it at all, but you're going to it from time to time. But, right. Right. but I may ignore it for a little bit longer than I should or a little bit longer than people think it should take. But eventually I, I come back around. And, and where you should get concerned is not when you go through a little season where you're a little bit something's off. You should start getting concerned when that something off doesn't feel off anymore. And you should start feeling concerned when that conviction where you know it's wrong is just not there. Right. And it's like, oh, this is fine. When you start saying, oh, this is fine, and you're not like, oh, this is wrong, but I just can't help it. Right. You know, that's to me, that's where that difference really comes into play where you're showing that fruit because conviction is fruit. You might go through a season where it is tougher and, and that conviction takes a little bit more time to really take hold and take root, but you know it's there. Right, right. You know it's there. Well, in, in the big difference, the big difference yeah. between us believers and unbelievers, the believer is convicted and they turn away from what they're doing. Sure, they, they might have been living in it, but if they are turning away and they go back to Christ, that is the difference. Versus the unbeliever, I we all have the knowledge of good and evil, right? right. Adam right. and Eve ate of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So unbelievers know the things that they're doing is wrong. I mean, you go back to having an affair. Yeah. I be, I truly believe that Why believers and non-believers secret? alike know that it's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Most of them. Most, most. of them. <laughs> yeah. In, in, a, in a different time, it was very hush-hush. You, it was not spoken of. Even if certain people knew of it, they didn't speak about it at all. Right. Versus now, it it's so much more flamboyant just because of the evil times that we're in. Of course. But 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 there's still a level of secrecy part, yeah. for the most part. I mean, there's it's still, still shame. It's there's still shame involved. Yeah. There's still this. I know this is not right. I know I should not be doing this. I mean, right. you look at just your everyday television show. Cheating is a topic on yep. a lot of those shows where. The husband or the wife—they know it's wrong, but they just can't help it because they're really connected. Whatever or the storyline is, yeah. But they know it's wrong, and they do try to hide it. I mean, there are the well, I'm not gonna get into that. But <laughs> <laughs> the pineapples—look look at look at pineapples and what those mean when you see pineapples. No, no, don't do that. Well, I mean, don't like you know. Why would you tell people to do that? Because well, I don't even know what that means. But well, I'm not oh, gonna look no, no, up no, 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 no. You're not gonna run into any. Just, okay. You're not gonna run into anything. No. I would not suggest you run into anything. You said look up pineapples. No context. Pineapples. <laughs> that is true. No con- My ADHD is wow. overdrive today where I'm thinking of 15 different things. So I apologize. <laughs> talking to, In context, it made sense in my mind because we're talking about affairs and how there's still hush-hush and it's still the world still does look down on it for the most part. Unless people don't look down on it, in which case it's a pineapple situation. And that's when, okay, it's swingers. What are you talking swingers. about? Swingers. What? 
But pineapples. What because you, if you have it, it's you, a symbol of being a swinger. How pineapples do you know are. that? I, I know things. You know. <laughs> I know things. <laughs> so confused. I am. Right I am. I am in with oh, the culture. Okay. I'm not deleting any of that, by the way. Okay. All right. Ugh, I'm crying over here. I don't even <laughs> pineapples. Okay. I got a pineapple growing in my backyard. It's fine. No, don't. Just don't put it in front of your house. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Ugh. What, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> the Rooted uh, after dark. Oh, right. man. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the nations outside of Israel were subject to the law of God. Speaking of unbelievers, so Leviticus chapter 18, verse 24 through 30. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger or sojourners among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these things, abominations, so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, <clears throat> the person who do the persons who do them shall be cut off from among your their people so keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them i am the lord your god also deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 5 through 8 See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Next, Psalm chapter 119, verses 118, scrolling, scrolling. It's a long psalm, 118 through 119. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. Back to Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 22. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. And then we go to Isaiah. Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 3. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, 
and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then Isaiah chapter 51, verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For I, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. And it continues. But God's law was always intended to go forth to the Gentiles. Hence us today. We, I'm a Gentile. Brad's a Gentile. As far as I know, there's How no percentage of, of Jew in me that I know of. I'm, maybe, maybe a little Ashkenazi. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Based on my last name, I feel like we're pretty darn German. I, pretty Swiss, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how the New Testament views and applies the law of Moses. Quote, Mr. Jackson. Many Christians today will deny the continuing validity of the law of Moses. Attempts to unhitch, quote unquote, the Old Testament from the New are plentiful. It is a hallmark dispensational theology and has become common among modern evangelicals. Influenced by theological systems, many could not even name specifically. This antinomian influence is deep. As Charles Ryrie says, quote, The law was never given to Gentiles and expressly done away for the Christian. End quote. Or, as modern dispensationalist John F. Hart writes, quote, to promote obedience to the Mosaic Law, even the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, is to promote sin and defeat in the Christian. Legalism for sanctification must be replaced by an inflexible emphasis on the New Testament freedom found in living by the Spirit. End quote. Dangerous. That is sinful. Dangerous. They're, they're over here calling the law sinful and... and Literally, their quotes are against scripture that we have just read. Someone has to go read the Bible again. <laughs> and I just, oh, man. Well, I mean, that flies directly in the face of a lot of passages. But, I mean, just the one that I referenced earlier of that, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound even more? If if we are not following God's law, and we're not following the commandments, and we're not, we're not living in a, a manner... Worthy of our calling, worthy of our name, Christian, little Christ. I mean, then we're doing that. We're sinning yeah. so grace can abound all the more. Yeah. And we're just kind of living however we feel and whatever makes us feel good in that moment. Living by the Spirit. And maybe being moral, right? I mean, right. I mean, again, probably outwardly moral. Most, I'd say most humans are outwardly moral, believer or unbeliever, right? Right. When it comes to not breaking the big laws, not murdering, not... Carnal. Sin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're. I don't steal. I don't murder. I'm a. Yeah. I'm a good guy. In the in the eyes of the world, they're yeah. good moral human beings. But God again tells us to be set apart and takes things a step farther. I mean, again, it, it's. Yeah, it's it's hard to justify what that person just said. <laughs> yeah, it's scary, and there's a lot of, quote unquote, evangelical pastors and preachers and teachers that are saying these things 
if you hear them saying this, walk away. And again, walk it, away. We've talked about this before. It it comes a lot of the times. It comes down to definition of terms. Whether you're using that term legalism in a, in a negative way and in the incorrect way, they're not defining that term right. properly. Exactly. Following God's commandments, following His laws, following what Jesus taught. Which, by the way, I mean, oh, let, let's just let's just say, right, hypothetically right. speaking, you never read the Old Testament, okay? And you read the New Testament, and you read the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and you follow His commands that He gives in red letters in most Bibles. Right. All right, you 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 follow the red letters. Guess what you're doing? You're obeying the law. Follow, you're obeying follow. God's law. You're obeying the law of Moses. Right. What did he quote? Bare minimum, you're obeying the Ten Commandments, right. but you're obeying the law of Moses. So even if you just simply ignore, quote-unquote, the Old Testament, which I don't recommend you doing, but if you are doing so and you're strictly following the red letters, you're still obeying the Old Testament. You're still yeah, obeying yeah. the law. Yeah. God's moral commands are still being followed by you. So this idea of just completely abolishing the law in a sense of like, you don't even need to look at it, is just bogus. It's antithetical to, yep. to what Christ taught. Yep. Because what did Christ taught? Or what did Christ teach? The fulfillment of the law. Yep. You follow him, you follow the law. Right. Well, and, and okay, even, I'd say best case scenario here, with these people that are saying this, what did Jesus say? He said he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill, and whoever teaches against these things will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So, I, I could be wrong, but on face value, it seems like unless they are completely heretical and they are, you know, completely going against scripture, he's not out completely saying you're not going to heaven at all. You're going straight to hell. He's just saying you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be people way above you. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that one. <laughs> but it 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 seems to to fit here. That is, along with eschatology, the study of end times, that, that, uh, the idea of, of heaven and the reward system and the judgment, like, that is a system, or a, a part of theology I haven't really looked at yeah. a ton. The theology of heaven, the theology of hell. We're going to get into it. Today? No. Well, I hope not. No. No. <laughs> that is on the list, of it course. Is, that, um, yeah, that's later. Yeah, but it, it's... Again, we, we are not bound to the law in a sense that the law saves us, that the law is what grants us entry into heaven, that following it is what's going to earn us our salvation. That is legalism, right? That idea that the law itself is how we enter the kingdom of heaven. The law itself is how we earn God's favor, this, that, and the other. That is, that is legalism. That is the proper term for legalism. Following the law out of obedience to Christ and in, in doing what he says and obeying his commandments like he asked us to do or told us to do, not asked us, that he told us to do, that's not legalism. That is obeying. It's obedience. I mean, you not murdering, is that legalism? Yes, it is. I have freedom in Christ, thank you very much. I can do whatever yeah, right. I want. I mean, again, th this idea that, well, in the Westminster uh, Confession, it does talk a little bit about some of the you know, we obey out of fear of the punishment. So maybe maybe we want to steal that car, we want to steal that soda or 
whatever big or small thing you want to steal, but we don't do it because we're afraid of what the law would do to us. The law, like the bit, you know, the, the yeah. governing body would do to us. Slap us with the fine, take us to jail, whatever the case may be. We follow the law out of that fear. Yep. There would th- that on some level, when it comes to Christianity, is a little bit of legalism. Uh, that following the law out of fear of some losing your salvation and punishment. No, it's it is all about grace, but it's all about obedience too. Yes. Yes, it is all about grace. The reason why. Here's here's where my mind kind of goes. I, with I this. see him getting amped up here. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we we obey because of the grace. We obey. I said that before earlier today. We don't obey out of fear, out of fear of punishment, out of fear of losing our salvation, because we are secure in Christ. Once we are His, we are His. No one can take us from His hands. We cannot sin too much to be un unwor- or uh, unloved by God again, right? You know what I mean. We can't. We That's can't unbiblical. That. We yeah. can't earn it. We also can't throw it away and, and lose it. We obey, not out of fear. We obey out of thankfulness. We obey out of this idea of like, man, God loved me this much. The least I can do is try to control my tongue. The least I can do is try to control where my eyes go. The least I can do is control, is practice self-control in all areas. The least I can do is love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the least I can do. Yep. We obey not out of fear of this just divine retribution. We obey because, man, we're thankful that we're free from our sin. We're thankful that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. I mean, we're thankful for the gospel. It's all about grace. Yes. We obey because of grace, not to earn grace, not to get grace, not to receive it, not to throw it away, not to whatever. We obey because we've received grace, period. Yeah. What What are the two laws that that Jesus says these are what defined all of them. One is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Literally, the law is condensed into do to two, and it is love God, love your neighbor. If you simply do those two things, just like I said, if you simply follow the red letters, heck, if you simply just follow those two things right there, those two little blurbs from Jesus, you follow the law. Yeah. Children. Children, great example. As little children, they don't like to obey. And older children don't like to either. (laughs) Especially younger children, as you are teaching them, as you are exhorting them, as you are bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, They don't want to do what you're telling them to do. So what comes if they don't obey? Consequences. 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 And... They learn that if I don't pick this up after I take it off and I throw it on the ground, if I don't make my bed, if I don't clean up my shoes, if I... I'm sorry. There's just so much telling children (laughs) to do things. (laughs) But soon it gets to the point in their life where they love you to where they have listened to what you've been teaching them. It is not the do this, do this, do this, do this. If you don't, this will happen. It is do this because of this. You know, pick up your shoe and put it away. That way, when you're looking for your shoe to go outside, you know exactly where it's at. And it and it's constantly doing that. But then at some point, they're not obeying you because they're afraid of the consequences. 
They're obeying you because they love you. They're obeying you because they respect you. And they're obeying you because they trust that if they do what you have told them to do, things will go well with them. Well, that's exactly it. They they trust that you have your be- their best interest at, at heart and in your mind. Like Your whole goal as a parent is to set your child up to be a successful, fruitful Christian. And if they once they once that clicks in their brain, they realize, oh man, dad, mom, they really know what they're talking about. When I, I mean, we do that with God, right? When we go off on our own path and we say, ah, eh, maybe, maybe I'll try it this way, fails every time. Yeah. Same way with kids, man. When when they go off on their own path, they. I remember specifically like my dad saying, I don't like this guy. He's not a good influence. It was a friend, you know, in the neighborhood. He's kind of a bad influence, man. You don't, you know. I don't know. I don't have a good feeling. And I didn't listen. And he, he did because it wasn't like unsafe necessarily. He kind of let me have a little bit of that freedom to make that mistake. Yeah. And I realized if, you know, however long it took me, but I realized, Oh wow. Dad was right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. okay. Like dad didn't, he didn't put me in danger. He didn't like, you know, it wasn't a situation where he thought I'd be harmed necessarily by hanging yeah. out with this guy, but, or this, it wasn't like, I wasn't like a, a man. It was a kid. Similar. Same similar age to me at that time. Hey, Brad, you want to get in my <laughs> my white van with no windows? I've got candy. Only if you have a puppy. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, they, they do. They ultimately realize you care for them so much that what you're telling them must mean it's in your best interest. You know, it, it's that cheesy little, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed Yep. That actually makes it, it's real. It's so much worse. It's so much worse. When when my dad was mad at me for doing something or smarting off or saying something, that was one thing. But like when I saw that I hurt him, that was a completely different thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Him being mad because I back talked or I smarted off or I, you know, um, I thank my mom for my smart mouth. I totally get it from her. She'll admit it. Like it's fine. She's she's good with it. But <laughs> <laughs> when I when that came out and I made him mad or, or or even my mom made her mad, that was one thing. Yeah, I felt bad or I was, you know, got spanked or had my whatever taken away. Like that yeah, that stunk and I tried to avoid that again. That 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 hurt on one level. But yeah, when I saw that I disappointed them and hurt them. That was so much worse. Yep. So much worse than any grounding I ever got. So it should be the same way with God. We're not obeying because we fear his holy backhand, right? We obey because we're thankful, because we love him, because he loves us, and his way is so much better than ours. I I mean, yes, yes, I agree. But I, I would also like to add true we're not supposed to be wholly terrified of god's quote-unquote backhand but there is still fear of the holy god of not just the sense of we we fear on in disappointing him but there there should still be a holy righteous fear of the god who created man from dust and if he wanted he could incinerate you incinerate you and honestly should and should and that's it it's like that for me that's the fear that should be upon us all not like looming over us but it should be upon us all that we all should be incinerated almost 
and we're not. I always think that a better term for that is, but but these two term there's two terms here that I think of, but I don't know if they're powerful enough or have enough umph, so we use the word fear. But I, I think of again of of reverence mm-hmm. and respect. Yeah, but like to the nth degree. Right. Not ne- again. Not that trembling. I'm scared of you. Fear. Right. Or I'm. You know. I'm. I'm terrified of you. Not that kind of fear. But this complete awestruck reverence and respect. I mean, it, it's. You know. A military person who will stand up and salute for the flag. That kind of reverence and that kind of, but to the nth degree. Yeah. Like to just that next level. Because I, I do think a lot of times we use that word fear and we de- we define it in a way that we know a, know it here in America especially. Right. Of I'm scared of the dark or I'm scared of the monster under my bed or right. I'm scared of this, that, and the other. No, it's, well, and it's it not is a, different a fear. it's a different fear. Because what does scripture say? Fear is not of the Lord. So to say you need to fear the Lord, which scripture says that too, it's like, well, okay, well then wh- what are we supposed to do? If I'm supposed to fear the Lord, but fear is not of the Lord, then, uh, yeah, it is it is a different fear. Are you afraid of something? Therefore, you are, when God, when Scripture says, fear is not of the Lord, you are afraid of things that are happening to you. You're, you're afraid of spiritual warfare, um, things that are of evil, that type of deal. Versus the fear of the Lord, I'm, I'm going to totally geek out here. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like you're walking into the uh the king's throne in Lord of the Rings uh Elendil he is the high king of both the north and the south Arnor and Gondor and you're walking through in Numenus and you go before the throne and he could lop off your head at any moment why because he can <laughs> and he's towering like 7 feet tall but it's fine but no it there is an awe there's a reverence but there is that fear of this yeah, I could die at any moment, but you you won't. <laughs> but you won't. That's fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I like I like it though. That's good. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, carrying on, finishing this up. So this sharp division must and has been rejected by historical and modern reformed thinkers. The entire Bible teaches an explicit and implied continuity from start to finish. Both Old Testament Israel and the church were commanded to neither add to or take away from God's revelation. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. And Revelation 22, verses 18 through 19 I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The hermeneutical approach that we must have to honor God and his word is to assume continuity unless there is explicit warrant for discontinuity. So, how did Jesus and the New Testament authors handle the law of Moses? Well, Matthew 15, 17-19 says, 
just what we read. You know, God came to fulfill, not to abolish. So, not the least commandment can be taught to be disobeyed. Uh, so, the apostolic attitude toward the law of the Old Testament parallels that of Christ. The keeping of the law is greatly significant. Let me look up some more scripture, because you can never have too much scripture, right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. For the believer is not without the law of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So on and so forth, it keeps going. But what does he say? He says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. As in, they're one in the same. They are one in the same. So, law-breaking is not to have dominion over the believers. Romans 6, 12 through 13, 1 John 3, 3 through 5. For the Holy Spirit fulfills the ordinance of the law within him, Romans 8, 4. The law is written on the new covenant believer's heart, Hebrews 8, 10, so that those who loyally follow Christ are designated by John as those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 12, 17, and chapter 14, verse 12. So we have a, a second quote here by Greg Manson from By This Standard. Again, there is scripture riddled through there, so I will read most of it, if I can. It says, The apostles often supported their teaching by appealing to the law. For example, 1 Corinthians 14.34, there. The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Nice. General precepts found in the dialogue, for example, thou shalt not steal, Romans 13.9. The case law applications of those details, for example, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when it treads, 1 Timothy 5.18. The penal code, for example... If I am an evildoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Acts 25.11 Also in Deuteronomy 21.22, Romans 13.4 And even, quote-unquote, holiness requirements in the ceremonial law, for example, 2 Corinthians 6.14-18 So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-18 do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? 
what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, why the disagreements? If what has been articulated here is true, then why is there such opposition, even and especially from Christians, uh, to the continuing validity and application of God's law today? Many hermeneutical mistakes and verses taken out of context have led to utter confusion of the subject of God's law today. There are a handful of proof texts used to deny that the Christian and the world are not to keep the law of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 21, Galatians 3 and 4, Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 15, Romans chapter 6, verse 14, among others. <clears throat> In all these instances, a closer look at the passage will show that the alleged New Testament denial of the validity and binding nature of God's law is a reference to a misuse, misapplication, or the ceremonial character of the law being discussed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 21, Paul is discussing the aspects of the law that separate the Jew from the Gentile, circumcision and the various dietary and ceremonial ordinances. Galatians chapter 3 and 4, is Paul again condemning those that would continue in and even force the Gentiles into keeping the ceremonial aspects of the law that were meant to be a custodian and tutor until Christ came. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 14, the quote-unquote change in the law is a change in the Levitical priesthood becoming obsolete and replaced by Christ as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul uses the term quote-unquote law to refer to the penalty that the law brings. He affirms in chapter 7, verse 12, that, quote, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good, end quote. But he is saying that the curse of death that comes from disobedience to the law does not reign in the believer's life because of the grace given in salvation. This is further elaborated on in the rest of chapter 7, where he says, quote, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, end quote. Paul's varied uses of the word, quote, law, can be confusing, even describing his own sin nature as, quote, the law of sin which is in my members, end quote. But we cannot allow our own confusions to become a pretext to deny the holy and binding nature of God's law. So the spirit-filled living, spirit-filled living is a life that loves God's law. So last quote from Greg Banson. And again, there's more scripture. So bear with me here. Third quote. Got it. Quote, if living by the spirit indicates that salvation must bring sanctification, then it means that salvation produces a life of glad obedience to God's law. Salvation frees one from sin's bondage so that he can walk lawfully. 
So James 1.25 and Galatians 5.13-14 says, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Back to Greg Banson, quote, which is to say lovingly, 1 John 5, 1-3, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For the leading evidence of the Spirit's work is one's life is love. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, those who have been saved by faith must be diligent to exercise the good works of love. Titus 3, verses 5-8 through 8, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be carefully or be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. James 2.26 for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Galatians 5.6 For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So, and the standard of good behavior and loving conduct is found in God's revealed law. You can read Psalms 119 verse 68, Romans 7 verse 12, 16, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, John chapter 14, verse 15, 2 John, verse 6. So the conclusion of all of this. Much more can be said, and it is our duty to meditate on God's law day and night to bring us to great understanding or greater understanding. But we must recognize God's law as the blessing it is, a revelation of his own character a guide for our personal lives and relationships, a guide for civil order, and a motivating force to drive us to Christ to receive grace and mercy for our failure to live up to its demands. And that's it. It is the law that God has given us through Moses is a blessing to us. And if you want to know what is pleasing to the Lord, as Ephesians 4.10 says, I believe, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Read the law. 
read what he gave to the Israelites saying, do this, don't do this. I really like this. I really don't like this when you do this. And try to discern what's pleasing to God. So that is that is the case set before you for the law is still very much in play. As Christ says in Matthew, um, he came to fulfill, not to abolish. And not, the earth will not pass away before the law is done, as it says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. And you look at the word fulfill that Jesus uses there. Fulfills the law. He fulfills the law perfectly because that is what the prophecy about him said he would do. Is that he would fulfill the law perfectly. He would live a perfect life. He would be sinless. He would be blameless. He would be the spotless lamb, the once and for all final sacrifice for our sin. It's why we do not have to go to the temple on a yearly basis and sacrifice our best, most perfect lamb yeah. or, or produce or whatever our lot in life had been at that time. It, we don't have to sacrifice our firstborn child for, you know, for, for our sin. Yeah. The sacrifice has been done. The ceremonial side of the law has been fulfilled and done away with because it is now Christ. Christ is our high priest. We don't have a high priest on this earth necessarily, right? We don't have to go to confession to talk to a priest. We don't have to talk to the Pope. We don't have to talk to these people. We we do need to confess our sins one to another to hold each other accountable. Yep. But as far as like the actual forgiveness of our sin, that's through Christ. He is the high priest. He he is he is the one who forgives us our sin. We don't have to go to someone who then goes to God on our behalf. Yeah. We go directly to him. And that's what has been about. That is what John is saying. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth being, again, this idea that he was perfect. He fulfilled the law perfectly to AT. And grace that we are no longer condemned by our inability to keep the law perfectly. Yeah. And that's what it is. I, I, I want to keep it as simple as possible. I know we, we went through a lot. There's a lot in this episode. I kind of like a little bit that simplicity that 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 we brought out when we said, yes, the law is profitable. It is valuable. You do not throw away the Old Testament, period. Yes. But at bare minimum, if you just follow those two commandments that Jesus gave, you follow the law. Understand the law. Understand the commandments. Understand, again, the character of God, the holiness of God. And out of this attitude of gratitude, I like rhyming. I like rhyming more as it gets late. But this attitude of gratitude, this idea that we are so thankful and so blessed for this grace that we we are compelled to obey. Yeah. Out of love, out of respect, out of honor, out of out of gratitude, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. We obey. Not out of fear, not out of trembling of like I'm scared he's gonna his holy backhand is going to come get me. But out of love, out of respect, out of honor, out of the fruit that comes naturally to believers. You have Christ inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's going to be fruit. That fruit is obedience, and that obedience is to what? Obey. 
No, no. What <laughs> what are we obeying? Yeah. We're obeying Christ's commands, yeah. which are what? The law. Rooted in the law. Yeah. So that was an hour and a half on one verse. Oh goodness. That's okay. It's gonna take us a while to get through John. <laughs> so we got some plans coming up for the next few episodes. Um we are excited to get into some of the secondary theolo- theological issues that that our church our churches talk about a lot, especially when you get into um, some of the, your your deeper conversations with believers, the the mature believers, gnawing on this stake of the word. Mm. Some deeper things are coming your way, so we're very excited for that to kind of get into some of these different views. We might take a little bit of a break from John here for a couple weeks and kind of get into some of this stuff. And then we will be back into John and continue our routine of going through the book of the going through a book of the Bible and and then just discussing some topics and and maybe we'll take an episode here in the next couple months and just kind of talk about some new developments in the culture and just kind of different things. I, I I would love to talk about AI. I would love to talk about aliens. Oh, gosh. Um, and like theological implications of those things. Yeah. So. As Christians, we have the answer. As Christians, we have the answer, but like, let's discuss it. Let's get into it. So, um, so there's a lot of topics in our brains rattling around up there, and we're going to get into here in the near future. Uh, Five star review on Apple or Spotify that would be very helpful. We would greatly appreciate it. Give Butter b u t t e r givebutter.com slash rooted. If you want to help us grow a little bit financially, that'd be amazing. We'd love you forever for that. Thank you guys for thank you to the one person that has donated so far. That's that's mm-hmm. huge. It's amazing. One more round of applause for that person. Thank, thank you so much. We will again next couple weeks. I might say it, and then I might stop. So we'll see if you guys want to do that he for were, us. He might. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm not going to keep annoying you. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. We love you guys. We'll see you guys next week, same time, same channel. In the meantime, stay, stay rooted. rooted.